I'm Miranda Lee, and you're listening to the Bread Therapy Mama podcast, a show created for moms who want to feed their families foods that heal them, not hurt them. Food was meant to be our medicine, and the best way to do that is by focusing on the ingredients, not the calories. Here, you'll find everything you need to know about holistic nutrition sprinkled with some motherhood, faith, and non-toxic living along the way. I can't wait to grow with you. Let's dive in. Hello, Leslie. Welcome to the Bread Therapy Mama podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to just dive deep into this topic of like additives and preservatives, because like we were talking about before I hit record, I feel like as a society, like nowadays, we're trying to, you know, really focus on eating real foods and whole foods, because such and such is bad. But I don't think you really understand why it's bad. Um, an example that I thought was such a good point. I was grocery shopping with my cousin who he was like, I don't know, eight years old and we were going down like the snack food aisle. And I had just been introduced on the topic of dyes and how, you know, they're not good for you. And I like pulled a bag of hot Cheetos and I looked, I was like, yep, red 40. And he's like, what does that mean? I'm like, it's not healthy for you. And he said, people don't eat hot Cheetos to be healthy. And I was like, that is a good point. That is a very good point. And I think we can just label things as good or not good, but to actually understand like why these things are bad for us is I think just good information to have in your back pocket, especially if like you're really getting into this holistic thing and then people keep asking you why, like little kids, like you can't just say seed oils are bad for you. And it's like, well, well, why are they bad for you? Oh, they're inflammatories. Okay, but why? And then learning that it's not even the seed oils that are bad. It's, you know, it's the chemical process to extract them that's actually not the best for you. So I think it's just so, so important to educate ourselves in these topics. That's why I'm excited to have you on. So can you introduce yourself and tell our audience who you are and what you do? Um, yeah, so I am an integrative nutrition health coach and consultant. I'm a um, gut health expert. So I do consulting and coaching as well as um, speaking, like public speaking on gut health and just nutrition and health in general. But I, uh, like you, really resonated with um, more of a traditional ancestral diet as I was learning about food, I discovered um, Weston A. Price and I discovered this like traditional diet idea. And I was like, holy crap, (laughs) like that makes sense. So um, I just kind of fell down the rabbit hole. I started making changes in my own life, seeing like radical results in um, this, my health, my son's health and in my own health. And just realized that this, that I was onto something that there was some magic here. And I couldn't believe that nobody, that I didn't know anything about this and nobody knows about this. And the more that I learned, the more I was like, wait a second, how, how are we all walking around our days, not knowing the truth about what we're eating and what it's doing to us. And it just became just something I was really passionate about. And I didn't feel like I could keep that information to myself because you're we're out here just watching the rates of disease and suffering increase and knowing how easy it is to make an impact on that in our lives. But people just don't 
they don't know. And the more I started trying to share that with people, I realized it goes a little bit deeper than just not knowing there. There's a lot of resistance to this information. I don't know if you've seen that in your experience, but so you do have to, you do have to be um, gentle and objective and empathetic at the same time in your approach with people. And um, sometimes people just don't want to hear it. And sometimes people want, want change, but they don't want the change you're suggesting. And sometimes people are really ready for it. So I'm really glad that, that we're going to have this conversation today because even I've raised my son from the time he was about seven years old. Um, he's kind of come up along as I've been learning this, he's 21 now. And he tries to tell his friends some of the stuff and they ask him why. And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> right. So yeah. I even had a, a client going through that recently. She's like, I'm doing all these changes. And my, my husband asks me, why I'm doing all this work. And I just tell him, well, it's good for my gut. And he's like, but why? So um, it's a very important conversation to have. But anyway, back to, I, so my little resume is I got my undergrad degree in psychology and communications. Um, and then I learned about nutrition when my son was a baby. Um, there just came a point where I created a human and realized I didn't really know how to like feed it. So I started learning how to feed it. And that's what led me to where I am. Um, I never expected to be a nutrition expert and be so passionate about the food that people eat. Um, I always joke that growing up, my three square meals a day all had like craft printed on them. Um, so it definitely didn't grow up in a farm with like real foods. Um, but I realized I was passionate about this. I went on to get um, my integrative nutrition certification and nutritional therapy certification. And then I got a master's degree in public health. Um, so I'm a trained health coach and just a total nerd about data and um, science and food. I work at a academic medical facility in the clinical research center. So I definitely have like a very solid research data background mm -hmm. to draw from, which I think has been really helpful in this journey because, um, like you said, there's a lot of information out there and there's a lot of information out there that doesn't have a lot backing it up sometimes. So sometimes you don't know if, it, if that's actually like a real thing, like I hear it, it makes sense and cool, but like, is that true? Is it legitimate? Um, so it's been, it's been kind of fun, kind of difficult, um, balancing the like holistic world and the like traditional medicine world. Um, but I think that really kind of has positioned me to be a little bit of a translator between the two. Mm -hmm. Um, so I really kind of enjoy reading the like nerdy academic articles and then telling people what they actually mean and looking at statistics I see in all of the media and, trying to interpret what that actually means. And so that's kind of where my little um, flow is, where my zone of genius is, and um, just really love talking about this stuff. So that's who I am, sort of in a long, big nutshell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we need more people like you, because I feel like over time, it's like, I feel like some people, their argument is always, oh, but, you know, medicine has gotten so much better and more advanced and technology and it's like, that's so true. But then I feel like our nutrition has just gone the other way, though. Like, imagine how healthy we would all actually be with all these 
modern technologies and advancements and if we all ate like whole raw foods not all these packaged preservative foods like we'd all be so healthy and yes modern medicine is important and it helps us but it shouldn't be like oh if if I'm eating packaged foods every day and all these dyes and chemicals like well we have medicine and that's what it's for and I I think that's a mindset a lot of people especially Americans have um and there's only so much that modern medicine can do if you're eating preservatives packaged foods every day that's slowly probably killing you <laughs> yeah um, you're absolutely right um couple little fun facts uh one i'm sure someone on your podcast has mentioned this before but we we spend as an um as an industrialized nation a developed country we spend more on healthcare than any other country and less on food per capita than any other country. So if we like flip that, I think we might be on the right track. And also um, I like what you said about modern medicine. Like there's only so much it can do. Modern medicine's really good at trauma response and emergencies. And it's um, they've really come a long way at increasing our lifespan, but we're not increasing our health span. So we're living longer, but I've heard some people say, we're not actually living longer, we're dying longer because those extra years we're getting for a good portion of us, they're not quality of life years. They're highly medicated, partially or fully disabled, miserable years where someone else is having to take care of you. That's not the goal. The goal isn't to just live longer in a weakened state. The goal is to have a longer health span. And one of the things I learned in uh, the course of getting my degree was that uh, medical insurance actually only came about during the Great Depression when there was like a moratorium on benefits for jobs because they were trying to kind of level things out when the economy was really hard. And so companies weren't giving raises. So they started trying to be creative in what benefits they could give. So they created this concept of health insurance. Before that, people didn't even have health insurance. They, If they had something wrong, they had to pay the doctor to treat them. So before we had this crutch that is health insurance that's really changed and bastardized the entire like supply and demand chain of <laughs> medical care, people didn't rely on the doctor to tell them how to live their life. You know, people relied on maybe their mom or their grandma if they got a cold, but they were responsible for keeping themselves alive. And if something happened, or they got really sick, or they had an accident, they would go to a doctor if they had a way to pay for that. But they didn't just know that that was available to them for nothing or for whatever, you know, not that medical care is, is nothing to people, but we, most of us know, if we get sick, we can go to the doctor. And a lot of people take that for granted. And we've gotten to this point with where we've gotten this like hero worship of the, of the white coat and people I see this a lot of time in like the boomer generation. They really, really, truly, not just the boomer generation, but also like the millennial generation. Like there's a lot of this concept of like the doctors know everything. The scientists know everything. I don't know like about my body. So they have to tell me, they tell me what to eat. They tell me when to take medicine. They tell me how many minutes a week to exercise. They tell me how many hours a night to sleep. And I don't know any of that. And 
that's like so far <laughs> from where we have been for the entire rest of our like existence as a people. I can I can just end the podcast right here. This is all <laughs> this is all we need to know. I think everything you just said about the whole like oh our lifespan is longer like you just totally debunked that because I feel like that is like the go-to argument I get from people is they're like well without modern medicine like you know our lifespan is so much longer and it's like well what about our health span that is such a good way to look at it I I love that and I think like that's like this middle area we need to learn how to live in where it's like there's a time and a place for the doctors but like they don't know everything about us and our health history. And like, that's on us. And that's why it's so important to educate ourselves on like, you know, our gut health um, and other things that is being like, well, everyone's supposed to work out 30 minutes, five times a week. Like we can't just have these general health expectations that we're all supposed to meet because we're all so different and doctors don't know us on a personal level like maybe they did back in the day like they see hundreds of clients a day and it's it's not their job to to know us to the point where they can truly diagnose us with what's going on because it's impossible exactly yeah it's not it's not their job so if you consider those recommendations come out of epidemiological studies most of the time which means they're looking at big numbers of people and seeing the most common trends. So there's a lot of people that don't fit in that trend. So it might be 60% of people didn't have a heart attack if they ate this way or whatever. 40% of people did, right? So they're, they're doing the best they can to create like population level recommendations, but there's still 40% of the people who had a heart attack when they ate that way. And those 40% of the people those recommendations are not going to apply for them or people like them. So um, it is like impossible for a doctor to know you. And if you're the type of person that falls into that, you know, recommended whatever, and they're getting closer towards precision medicine and I can't wait, we can have personalized medicine. The more we learn about genetics and epigenetics and the microbiome and all of that kind of stuff, there's a lot of like direct to consumer testing you can do. And it's really, really fascinating but it's still in its infancy. So they're not there yet. For now, they're just doing the best that they can with population level data, looking at trends over millions of people and then trying to like pull that data out and apply it to each of us. So of course you need to take it with a grain of salt and know yourself enough to personalize it to yourself. But then it's also really hard for some people to, to have the confidence in that, to advocate for themselves and to maybe even disagree with their doctor and say, well, I understand that, but I don't think that's right for me because some doctors don't handle that well. But a lot of doctors, they don't, it isn't their job. They don't want to be you to be relying on them to tell you what to eat. Like they don't have time for that. If you're sick, they're going to look at your symptoms and then they're going to try to ease your symptoms. A lot of times they're not even looking at what the root cause of those symptoms is. And then you consider that medical research can take 20 years to get from where they discover something and write a paper about it to where like your primary care family physician knows about it and is using it in his practice. If it ever gets there, it can take 20 years. That's your kid's entire lifespan as a child. So you can't really rely on 
your family doctor necessarily being up to date on the latest science, which by the way, is changing so fast that in 20 years, like he's going to be way out of date on family practice. So I respect doctors. I work with them. I don't believe that they're all out to get us because they're all like pawns of big pharma. But I think that there's a lot wrong with the system. But I think that a lot of the parts that are wrong with the system is us and what we think the system is for. And Mm -hmm. if we start taking responsibility for our own health, the system isn't going to get any better. Yes, that is so like we have to take responsibility for our own health. I love that. And it starts with educating ourselves. It really is. So that was like not entirely at all what we were going to talk about. We were nope. <laughs> but we can redirect now and, and yes. take that like all that kind of science and clinical research talk to um, food additives, which is what we were going to talk about, right? Yeah, exactly. Because we we think that just because something is allowed, and you know, oh, if the government and the FDA says that it's okay that I should be fine to eat it or have it in my house. And that's a horrible mindset to have because first of all, like there's, can we just talk about like, there's so many different like rules and regulations, like from country to country, like, yeah, the U S allows food dyes, but like other countries, like they're banned. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know, in like fluoride in the water, like that's another one. Like just because things are allowed doesn't mean that it's good for us. So yeah, let's talk about like the preservatives and additives in food because I feel like the reason why we got to where we are today are a couple reasons. One is just like the industrial revolution of trying to get food to last longer while, you know, getting it across the states or even to a different country. I mean, that's why they started pasteurizing milk was so it would last longer. Um, And then, and then also like diet culture, we assume that just because the calories are lower that it's healthier for us. But a lot of the times to get the calories like zero or even super low, they have to put all this fake stuff in it. And that's why we don't recognize it as that's why it's zero calories is because it's our body doesn't recognize it as food and calories is just energy. And it's just this toxin or chemical that's going into our body. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, a lot, a lot of branches right there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So yes. um, I do want to like reaffirm what you said about the FDA. So there's a lot of um, corruption within some of those regulations and some of the history of food policy. There's a lot of um, corruption. There's a lot of legal corruption. Like when you talk about lobbying, um, there's a lot of money behind ensuring that certain things are okay and certain things are not okay. Um, But even if I always try, I find it less stressful in my life to try and apply the most amount of grace to a situation that I can. So even if we don't want to talk about how the people on Monsanto's board are also in the FDA and, you know, back and forth, and even if we just want to give everyone the the best intentions that they're just out there trying to do their job, your specific individual health is not a priority when it comes to creating policy. When it comes to creating health and food policy, they have to look at the population level health, but the health isn't even the top priority. They have to look at 
what um, is going to be good for the economy. They have to look at what's going to be good for national security. They have to look at what the public is actually going to accept because they could make some like food rule. And if everyone's like, I mean, look what happened when New York tried to ban drinks over 32 ounces or whatever. I don't know if you're old enough to remember that, but several years ago, New York was trying to ban um, drinks at like restaurants over 16 ounces or something like that. So your super big gulps are gone. Your extra large, your upsizes on your fast foods were gone. And there was a big, big pushback about personal liberty and personal choice and things I'm all very, very much for personal choice. But it was like the biggest argument over extra size sodas that you could have seen with both sides having very legitimate arguments. But that's something that they have to consider when they're making food policy. It's not just about if it's good for you. But do you have a right to choose something that's bad for you or do is it the government's job to protect you from yourself? And is it even fair question if the advertisers are subliminally programming you to pick something that's bad for you? So there's a lot of depth there. So the fact that the FDA approves it does not even pretend to mean that it's healthy for you, for one thing. Um, but for another thing, most of these food additives, they have a designation with the FDA called um, GRAS, G-R-A-S. And it means generally recognized as safe. And what that usually ends up meaning is that the company that created the chemical or the company that's putting the chemical in their food has done some internal studies and failed to show that it was bad for us based on some small scale mouse studies or something like that. So if you trust the data that they're providing with only their own interests at stake to be accurate for you, go ahead and eat it. That's kind of what the FDA is saying. It's generally recognized as safe. But the reason that these things are banned in other countries and not ours is because other countries, some other countries tend to have a more of a like better safe than sorry mentality towards health. Like the, the responsibility for proof is on the industry, on the companies. But in the United States, we've always been very like pro business and pro industry and pro, you know, innovation. And because of that, the responsibility for proof is on the consumer or the responsibility for decision making is on the consumer. And it puts us in a difficult situation when you talk about that um, education piece, because we don't have time to learn all of these food additives and whether they're good for us or not and track down the research and track down who's funding it and all of that. We're living our lives. We're busy enough as it is, right? So we trust the FDA, but we don't really understand how the FDA makes those decisions. And so then we get in this situation where we're just like trusting in something that wasn't even ever promised <laughs> to us to be that. Mm, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. I mean, America, we're all about like freedom and you know making our own choices for ourselves but then we we turn it around and saying well aren't they supposed to be protecting us exactly right exactly that's exactly what we do (laughs) so you have to pick a side kids pick a side (laughs) do you want to be responsible to be free to make your own choices or do you want the government to make you safe like one or the other because both is getting us in this weird situation that we're in Hey guys, I want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about my favorite online market, which is Thrive Market. I just absolutely love everything that Thrive stands for. They are on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable. They have high quality, healthy, sustainable products at member only prices. So you get all this high quality stuff for a bargain. Like these prices cannot be beat anywhere else. And you 
can not only get like pantry essentials and grocery items, but there's also non-toxic cleaning supplies, beauty items, baby and bath products, and even biodynamic wine. Like they have anything and everything that you need if you like went to the local Walmart or something like that, except they only carry products that they want 100% back, which I love. So you're not gonna go on there and find like Doritos and Pringles, but you are gonna find healthier alternatives that you know are dye-free or that or organic or gluten-free, like just healthier versions of the snacks and foods that you love. And I think my favorite part is that they have these filters for you to filter through your values or your dietary preference preferences or lifestyle choices. So like for example, for me, whenever I'm trying to um, get food or groceries on Thrive Market, I'll always do like the filters for organic, gluten-free and dye-free because those are just my dietary preferences and allergies. And it will just give me everything that fits those those filters and then you know if I want to get some makeup on there or cleaning supplies like I'll look at women only I'll put like the women owned only business filter on there I'll do fair trade or I'll do eco-friendly packaging and it'll bring up everything that fits that I love it and I think my most favorite part of Thrive Market, which you can't really find at any other grocery store, is that they give you little refill packs for your seasonings, like salt, pepper, paprika, garlic powder, whatever. You can order that on Thrive Market as well. And I love that because you don't have to just get a whole new container every time, which is so wasteful. They just give you a little packet for you to refill your own containers at home. Um, but that's just personally one of my favorite parts. So I don't have, it just helps me reduce my carbon footprint and waste that I'm, and that's something I'm really passionate about. So yes, Thrive Market is amazing for a million different reasons. So it is a $60 annual membership fee or you pay $12 a month for the membership. You get free shipping if you spend $49 or more, which is amazing because that's super easy you know when you grocery shop you're spending $49 at least so free fast carbon neutral shipping like super fast um, and with my link you are going to get 30% off your first order and a free gift valuing up to $60 so you can go in the show notes for my link or you can go to linktree.com forward slash this is Miranda Lee and I'll have it on there but I highly recommend Thrive Market. I've had it for years and I will have it probably forever. It is just a great way to have high quality products, but also save money and it fits in my budget. I absolutely love it. So like I said, check the show notes for your 30% off and free gift. And let's get back to the episode. So even if we classify them, each of these class uh, classes of food additives, um, like pesticides they put on food, food dyes, artificial sweeteners, stabilizers and gums and preservatives, I'd say like five classes. Even if we just talk about each of those classes, there's sometimes different reasons they're bad for you. So um, we'll maybe just start with like some umbrella reasons why you should just kind of, why I choose a better safe than sorry attitude with my Mm -hmm. food. And then we'll go from there. If there's anything we want to dig into, does that sound good? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So one reason why 
um, one of the main reasons why I choose to just avoid as many of these things as I can is because I don't have necessarily the time to dig into which ones are good for me and which ones are bad for me. So I just choose to be better safe than sorry. But as you've mentioned or touched on a couple of times, your body doesn't know what to do with these things. So your body wasn't made in a factory and it's not designed for your food to be either. Your body knows exactly what to do with food that comes from the earth. It does not know what to do with food that comes from a factory. And so what it does, it, it does the best that it that it can because your, your body's amazing and hardworking and brilliant and it goes through the process, but it'll pick apart, you know, picks apart an apple and it's like, oh, here's this and here's this. And it shuttles things off to where they, you know, the energy, the carbs go to like burn the energy, go to the cells and sort in the liver if you don't burn them. And the fiber goes through the gut and kind of cleans the pipes out and all these things happen with all mm -hmm. of the stuff in the apple. But when you put in a hot Cheeto, then your body's like, okay, what is this? This kind of looks like it might've been corn. So send it over there. And this, yeah, I don't know what this is. So let's just stuff that in the closet. And this, I can't do anything with this. So just send it straight out right away, like immediately. And so then what you end up with is some, sometimes some immediate gastrointestinal distress, sometimes some delayed gastrointestinal damage because it's still in there churning and working. And then the rest of it just gets stuffed in the closet, which in your body can end up looking like your liver or your fat cells. And, you know, you know, we've all seen what happens when a closet gets too stuffed with all the random clutter in the house. At some point it bursts open and that's when you start getting insulin resistance. Like you get metabolic disorders like diabetes, you might gain weight, get obesity, get like fat that you have a hard time losing. You might start getting an autoimmune disorder. You might start getting what some of your guests have probably talked about before, but leaky gut, which can cause inflammation mm -hmm. throughout the body and all sorts of other things. And it doesn't look the same in one person to the next. So it's hard to make that connection. Remember I said that the responsibility is on the consumer here. And if we can't say, look, all these 100 people that ate hot Cheetos every day got arthritis, then we might be able to say something about it. But since, since maybe like, 70 of them seem fine until they're like 50. And then the other 30, like 20 of them have ADHD and then 15 of them have IBS. And, you know, it's hard to make that connection in a way that you can like prove that anything's wrong, but your body doesn't know what to do with all of those chemicals. And it's just in the scope of evolution, we've had a very, very short amount of time to try to like adapt to them. So even if it seems like hot Cheetos don't mess with you, I guarantee you, your body doesn't know what to do with, with the pieces that make up a hot Cheeto. And it's just doing the best that it can with them. It's likely going to come up again down the road. Yeah. I know a lot of the things that like we deem as, like you said, generally safe, like we haven't even had around long enough to really have, have that opinion formed. Like, I don't know. I think the whole, I'm not not over here trying to bring up the COVID vaccine, but you know how it says, oh, it's safe for pregnant women. It's like, well, I mean, it hasn't really been around long enough to know, you know, how the kids right. you know, were, were brought up and if they, and if they were okay. And if there was any, any damage to them at all, I don't know, just some of these things, like 
we just were like, oh, they, you know, the government said that it's safe. So I'm just going to believe them and, and go for it. And I don't know, the whole, the G part of grass, the whole generally, right. that kind of rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. Like how vague can we be FDA? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, it's like certain things like, like slip through like the cracks as well. I feel like, because like when I, in the food dye episode, when I was talking to Dr. Rebecca Bevins, she was saying how like the FDA says, all right, well, this amount of food dye is generally generally recognized as safe. But then if you look at how much um, a kid of like Motrin they're allowed to have within 24 hours, well, that is way above the the limits of food dye that you should have. And even things like, oh, like they put fluoride in our water that we drink, but on our toothpaste, it says, do not swallow because of fluoride. So like, I don't know, these things are just so contradicting to each other. Yeah. And and when they do the studies, they're usually doing like a minimum recommended dose. And they're assuming like the, the data that comes out of that is like, if I were to eat this many micrograms of red dye 40, am I going to immediately get brain cancer in the six months that you're tracking me? No, probably not. Yeah. But if I'm eating four times that in every single food ingredient that I'm eating throughout the day and three meals, plus two snacks, plus drinks all day, plus my Motrin, is that going to maybe cause some problems? And if I'm doing that over 40 years, might that cause some problems? They don't test that. And it's impossible to track that because over 40 years, what other things have I ingested that may have caused my brain cancer or, you know, that my kid might be having ADHD symptoms from. So it's, it's just very, very difficult to prove in like clinical trial, like randomized clinical trials. And, you know, it's very difficult to prove those kinds of associations with specific food ingredients, because we have so many confounding factors in our lives. So many things we're eating, drinking, breathing, doing, and then over like disease develops slowly. Even if it seems to come on quickly, it's been developing over a long period of time. So it's really, really hard to make those connections. So it's very hard to prove that that happens. The best we can do is find enough numbers to associate it and then push hard enough that we get a warning label and then hope that people listen to it. So the second reason why I think it's a good idea just to blanket avoid as much as you can of these things is because almost all of them will disrupt your gut microbiome. And anybody who listens to your show regularly has got to know by now how important your gut microbiome is. If your microbiome is off, if your gut is um, imbalanced or um, compromised or leaking or anything, no other system in your body can function properly for very long. It's the most important foundation for your entire health. And that includes your mental health. So I'm sure with the food dye conversation, you had talks about how food dyes can be excitotoxins in your neurons and create all kinds of symptoms. They're not the only things that do that. Artificial sweeteners can do that for some people. Some of these preservatives can do that. But even if those preservatives don't directly cause that reaction in your brain, disrupting your microbiome can cause that disruption in your brain. I don't know if she mentioned that a good portion of your neurotransmitters are actually produced in your gut or the precursors Mm -hmm. are like most of your serotonin is produced in your gut. So a good portion of the way that your brain functions, your neurological and mental health 
is reliant on a healthy gut and a diverse microbiome, meaning a lot of different kinds of microbes living in your gut. Most Americans have a very, very specific diet and only eat, especially children that have like autism, ADHD, things like that, will only eat maybe six foods. There are hundreds or thousands of types of plants on the planet and most people eat 13. Like that's pretty much the numbers. So our microbiome is not nearly as diverse as it should be to really be considered robust and healthy. And that affects your mental health. It affects your neurological program, like processing, like the way that your brain can actually work with brain fog and memory and even like how smart you can be. It affects your immune system. It affects your hormonal, your endocrine system. It definitely affects your gastrointestinal system. So anything that you can do to improve or protect your gut health, you really should be trying to do because there is so much happening in your life that you don't have control of that is damaging your gut. You, I really advocate for controlling what you can when it comes to that. So everything that you do eat or drink, I would pass it through a, a gatekeeper question of, is this going to be good or bad for my gut? If you want to eat hot Cheetos sometimes, sure. Eat hot Cheetos sometimes, but know what you're doing, like informed consent, right? Know the choice that you're making. And the rest of the time, do things that are really good for your gut because it's going to need the help if you're eating hot Cheetos. So whether you're talking pesticides, food dyes, artificial sweeteners, the like the gums and stabilizers that make the consistency good and keep things from separating those all like really wreak havoc on your microbiome they like destroy a lot of the diversity in your gut which makes it harder for everything else to do its job completely eliminates some of the vital functions that our gut has and also creates an environment where it's really really easy for harmful microbes to grow and thrive, which is why so many people are so susceptible to like foodborne illnesses and stomach bugs and things like that. Yeah. I know like some, some things people say to me because, you know, I try to, you know, I have my kid, like he doesn't eat any dyes, like us as a family, we don't eat dyes. Like we really try to limit like any, any preservatives or additives or anything. And then there's the whole like, well, what if your kid goes out and, and eats it at a birthday party? That's fine. You know, it's Mike, I want my, it, there are places that I can control what me and my kid eat. And, you know, the, the few times for the things that I can't control, I, I really don't think that's going to hurt them the way that if we were eating preservatives and dyes for all of our meals and snacks it's like for the few times that they do go out and maybe have something that wouldn't be a part of our every day, it shouldn't wreak the havoc that it would if this was part of their everyday diet. Yeah. And, and another benefit I've seen just having raised a kid like this is that when they do have those, it's very easy for them to notice the effect it has. Mm. So my son now knows what sugar does in his body. Like he feels it and he still eats sugar. But when he like is cranky afterwards, he knows why. Yeah. He can choose whether he wants to eat sugar or not, depending on if he's willing to feel cranky afterwards or not. Um, so he's very aware of the thing, the effect things have on his body. He still chooses them if he wants to, but he knows the choice he's making. He's not just walking around cranky every day, like on Instagram talking or on TikTok talking about his you know, anxiety and ADHD 
he knows exactly what's causing those things. So he can choose mm -hmm. not to have them if he wants to. So when he's trying to improve the way that he feels every day, he knows, well, I'm going to start with my diet and I'm going to start, and then I'm going to look at moving my body. So he knows those things. And so that's mm -hmm. the benefit that your son's going to have because of the way that you're raising him is he's not going to feel restricted. He can go still enjoy the cupcakes at his friend's birthday party, but he's going to start noticing that he doesn't feel good after that. So he can choose different as he's, you know, when he's grown, he can make those choices. Whereas if you didn't teach him that he would grow up and just not have that power in his life to make that choice for himself. He wouldn't even like know that, that he was poisoning himself. So it's yeah. not, even, it's not even fair. It's not even like an informed decision. Yeah. I think a lot of people, that's just how they live. They, they don't know. Yeah. And a lot of them don't want to believe you when you tell them at that point. So teaching them when they're young is really the best way. Cause then they don't yeah. have those like intense associations with food that, that we have by the time we're grown. So are, are there any, like, can you think of any like specific examples of maybe common additives or preservatives that you see in foods that maybe these are like some like go-to, you know, really try to avoid these like with dyes we know we say like red 40 and like blue one and yellow five or whatever it is what about other um other additives yeah I think the dyes are the most one of the most important ones so if you've chosen like I'm going to avoid dyes I would say the next step would be avoiding artificial sweeteners artificial sweeteners have been artificial sweeteners destroy your microbiome. They have been, there's been debate for decades over the associations that they have with cellular dysfunction like cancer. So there is enough evidence for me that these things could potentially contribute to cancer growth in your body because they're just, they're not good for your cells. So they destroy your microbiome. They mess up your cells and may contribute to cancer. They can also trigger things like migraines and ADHD and brain fog. So they mess with your brain. And even if they don't cause those things in me, they do cause them in other people, meaning that they are doing something to my brain, even if it's not symptomatic, right? Mm, yep. And then um, the final thing is that they confuse the crap out of your body. So your body thinks it's getting calories and nutrients, and then it isn't. So it starts all these processes, like it's getting some nutrients and then there's nothing there. And it's like, well, hold on, wait, we still need calories though. So it has been shown clinically that people who drink diet soda eat more calories than people who don't. So if you want something sweet, just eat some sugar, like eat something with sugar in it, eat something with honey, maple syrup. You can eat a little bit of stevia or monk fruit if you want or eat dates or, you know, a sweet fruit, a sweet vegetable. There are ways to give your body something sweet when it wants it. Do not try to trick it. You cannot cheat when it comes to your nutrition. As much as we try, you mm -hmm. cannot cheat. So artificial sweeteners are not like the miracle invention that they seem. That's one of those things. If it seems too good to be true, it is. You can't just eat endless amounts of calories and sweet things and have no consequences. So I would say artificial sweeteners, and I'm not even going to pick any specific ones because they're all bad for you. So that would be my first top recommendation after the red dye 40 food dye kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely a common one is these 
artificial sweeteners that are everywhere and even like i know you mentioned stevia there people like a lot of these companies like claim to be stevia and like they're not like you'll they'll be you'll have stevia in it like in like the packets and then but they'll have other artificial sweet artificial sweeteners in it too so the blend yeah yeah the blends exactly and it's just so much like health washing that it's exactly they just try to trick us they try to get the most they try to see how they can make the most money off of us and that's their job and if you're not smart enough to like recognize that Mm -hmm. that's not their problem honestly I don't I know that sounds harsh but like their job is to get you to buy their product their job is not to like educate you or make you stay healthy their job is to get you to buy their product so if you just look at things in that light, you don't have to be mad about it. You don't have to feel betrayed about it. Just know they're doing a job. You have a different job. Your job is to figure out how to feed your family healthy, even though they're trying to give you all of these like buzzwords to make you think that that they're it. You have to look beyond that. You just have to, you just have to think critically enough to look at the ingredients list. If you don't know what something is, you probably shouldn't eat it. Yep. Yeah, that's the thing. We so many people are just used to looking at the calories or carbs and or protein and in foods when we need to really be looking at the ingredient list because that's what matters who cares if it's zero calories when there's literally like 30 ingredients still in there like big red flag right you know what else is zero calories drano so, yeah, I always start people looking at the ingredients list. That's it's just it's very easy to get overwhelmed. But like what we're trying to do is just share the information for you guys to have as you can process it. It's all here as a resource. It doesn't mean you have to like deal with everything all at one time. Um so just start somewhere small. Like when I was first starting out, I was um I was on public assistance. I was a single mom. I barely had internet. I didn't have any of this education. I just started learning all this information and I just felt so hopeless. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to do what I need to do to to keep us healthy. Like, there's no way we're too far gone as a society and I don't have the money to be one of the opt-out people. But I just chose to stop buying things with high fructose corn syrup in them. That was the only change I made at first. We're just not going to eat high fructose corn syrup anymore. And that was all I did. That was all I could handle at first. So I did that. Once I got used to that, I started making other decisions. I researched raw milk for an entire year before we tried it and switched over to raw milk. Like this doesn't have to happen fast, guys. It can, if you have the, if you're able to do that, do it. Like you won't regret it, but if you can't, it's fine. Just do one thing and read your nutrition, like read your ingredients labels. If that's the one thing you do, start there. drug. Yeah, it's like just picking that one thing at a time and and doing it. I know I noticed that's what like worked with my husband, who you know I'll be like we shouldn't eat this or that, and he's just like gets so overwhelmed like well what can I eat? And yeah. we just started like I started with him like all right we're gonna be dye free, and now he'll like look at the back of things see if there's dye in there, and sometimes I won't love the other ingredients, but I'm proud of him for picking the dye free options. Yeah. And, you know, it's educating yourself on that. It can be so overwhelming at first, but like all these little things add up over time and, you know, starting somewhere is so important. They really do. And that's so true. And cutting out the dye free, cutting out the dyes is going to cut out a lot of the other crap because 
a lot of the companies that don't won't put the dyes in, they're going to be paying attention to some of the other nasty stuff too. So it won't be perfect, mm -hmm. but it's going to accidentally cut a lot of the other stuff out. I found that when I cut out the high fructose corn syrup, like I've gone on a gluten-free diet a few times and sometimes cutting the gluten out cuts a lot of other stuff out. Now, gluten-free has gotten so popular that there's just a whole world of gluten-free junk food. So that doesn't necessarily apply anymore, but sometimes when you cut out one of the things, it just has like an, an accidental effect of cutting out a lot of the other ones. Yeah. Like going organic. Like if you go organic, you know, things aren't going to be GMOs, obviously. You can't have dyes in organic products. Like there, there's other things that that fall into mm -hmm. that as well. And like, that's why I love Thrive Market because like you can filter things. Like if you want to do more than one, like I love doing the whole like, okay, dye-free, like organic. And then like, um, I have, I have a gluten intolerance. So like I'll hit like gluten-free as well. And then like, it brings up everything that falls under those. So it just makes it easier. Yeah, yeah. Like you can't do that in a grocery store. Like, all right, like here are my filters, show me everything. Cause you know, you, you pay to get space in within eyesight at grocery stores. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's really a cool thing about Thrive. Um, but yeah, so, and, and you do, and that's something as consumers we can consider too, is that you pay for convenience, right? So a lot of us are, we recognize we pay for convenience if we buy the pre-chopped veggies or if we buy, you know, packaged foods or whatever, that's what we're doing is we're paying for convenience. But if you think about it the other way around, if you have more money than you have time, go organic because that's going to automatically cut a lot of things out and you're not going to have to think about it. Now it's not perfect because organic is another thing that's been hijacked by just the people that can pay for it, but yep. it's, it's somewhere to start. So if you don't have the bandwidth to be doing all of this stuff or growing your own food or reading every nutrition label, go organic and start there or, you know, whatever, pick something and start there. It's, it, it's going to cost you more to do it that way because organic foods cost more. But if that, if you have more money than time, start there. If you don't have money, you're gonna have to put the time in. And I know it sometimes feels hard to do that, but again, start with something small. Yeah. And if you don't have time to read nutrition labels, stop buying things with nutrition labels. Yep. That is so <laughs> true. Eat meat and vegetables. <laughs> you can do that too. Exactly. Yeah. I always say there's, there's three ways to pay for your food, your money, your time, or your health. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people are choosing to pay for their food at the expense of their health, unfortunately. Yeah. It's almost like having a credit card, right? Yeah. Now and pay later. I'll worry about it later. Yep. And they're just, they're hurting their future self down the line by picking convenience and cheap foods over taking the time or paying a little more for quality, unfortunately. Yeah. And a lot of people... I hear they say, well, I don't really care. I want to enjoy my life while I have it. I don't care if I die younger or whatever, but you know what? Your family's going to care. I'm having to take care of my dad right now as he's descending into dementia and it is not easy and it is not because of the choices I made. I can guarantee you that, you know, if you had asked him earlier, if he would want me to have to do this for him, he would have said, hell no, but the choices that he made indicated otherwise. Mm, yeah. So if you don't care what the last years of your life are like, 
I used to say that when I was younger, before I learned about this, I used to smoke cigarettes and everyone's like, oh, those are going to kill you. And I'm like, well, they're like one cigarette takes seven minutes off your life. And I'm like, so what? Those are my diaper wearing wheelchair minutes anyways. I don't, I'll trade those, you know, but that's not how it works. (laughs) That is not how it works. You guys, you are trading your good years and turning them into diaper wearing wheelchair years. You're not just trading your wheelchair years. So like, if you don't care about the debt you're going to pay later, just consider that your loved ones are going to pay that debt for you. You're probably not going to like, who do you think is going to be by your bedside dealing with doctors and dealing with hospital bills when you have cancer? It's probably not going to be you. It's going to be your loved ones. So it matters. That's, I mean, I got real dark there for a minute, but it matters. <laughs> Clearly I get passionate about that. <laughs> no, that, that's so true. Cause that's, that is an argument I hear so many people say, and yeah, it's not going to be them taking care of themselves at the end of the road. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be their family members and loved ones. And if you, if it's not enough to do it for your own health, do it for, you know, the health and san- sanity of those, those that you love. Yeah, for real. Well, this has been a great conversation. I feel like we could just keep going forever just <laughs> just about additives and just the healthcare system and our dependence on it but where can people reach out to you and find you if they want to learn more about what you do yeah so if it's okay with you um i'd like to offer your listeners just the opportunity to schedule a free call if they just have questions or want to talk about any of these specific things in their own life um yeah they can do that through uh, my website, nourish to amplify.com. Um, I don't, are you going to, do you have a like show notes? You put, links yep, I'll there. put it all in the show notes. Um, but any of my socials, they all have the, the link that you can just schedule, schedule a free call. And if you think there's something tricky in your situation, or you just want to know more about your gut or what to do, where to start, schedule a call, happy to talk, but, um, yeah, I'm on all the social platforms and, nourish to amplify.com is my website okay perfect i will put that in the show notes but thank you so much leslie for coming on i feel like we just had some good passionate (laughs) talks (laughs) but people need to hear this though yeah and i i'm just i'm so appreciative of what you're doing for people so yeah man i love i love what you're doing thank you so much Thank you all for joining me in another episode of the Bread Therapy Mama podcast. If you like this kind of content, check out my blog for recipes, how-tos, product recommendations, and more. Just go to breadtherapymama.com. I'll see you all in the next episode.